Welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. I hope you're doing well this July 4th weekend. Yesterday was a great day of rest for my family. We enjoyed some dear friends and got to swim in the pool and enjoy great July 4th party food. And I love party food. Anything on the grill. Uh, I'll even eat the fruit medley that's to represent the flag. Uh, So I guess that's blueberries, watermelons, and bananas. And it was great. My favorite is when there's no utensils on the table except for toothpicks, you know that's going to be a good party. Using the instrument of a toothpick to jab into a sliced brat and dip that into some mustard. And I don't even really like mustard, but if it's at a pool party on July 4th, yeah, I'm going to eat that mustard. Give me some of that mustard. Mmm, spicy brown. Ooh, whole grain. Yeah, I want that. And it was awesome. Anything that you have to use the toothpick for to jab into food and use that instead of a fork or spoon, yeah, I'm liking that. And so it was a great day. I hope that you're having a restful weekend yourself. And I was just thinking about that this morning, using uh, utensils or instruments. What's it look like to be an instrument in God's hands? Yes, I know it's a terrible transition, but just roll with me here. Like, what would it be like to be the human toothpick, if you will, to be a connection between people and God? There's actually this passage that in the scriptures that came to my mind when I was thinking about this. It's found in Acts chapter 11. And I want to read it for you this morning. Well, it's morning here. I don't know where it is, wherever you're listening to. But Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Whoever, or how, However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So let me just set the stage here. Really what we're talking about is people being used as instruments, human toothpicks, if you will, for engaging other people. and For life, for Christians back then, as the, as the days were have, would have it, persecution really caused believers to scatter all around. And but wherever they went, they shared about Jesus. So some of these folks who were from Cyprus and Cyrene were most likely Greek-speaking Jews who converted to Christ. Uh, Cyprus is an island not too far from Antioch, and Cyrene is a city in North Africa. Uh, these men made their way to Antioch telling people the good news of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says. And we don't even know their names. Uh, Antioch was the metropolis of Syria and ranked really next to Rome and um, Alexandria in size, wealth, and power. It was also known for the Temple of um, Daphne and ritualistic prostitution that took place there. So throughout the world, the phrase, the morals of Daphne, was slang for depravity. Uh, Antioch was filled with immorality, and yet these Greek-speaking Jesus followers came and shared the good news of Jesus, of the kingdom of God. And in verse 21 of chapter 11 of Acts, it says that the Lord's hand was with them. In scripture, when we see God's hand is with someone, it means that his presence and power are with them. Acts chapter 14 verse 31 is an example that we read that and the people saw the that the mighty hand of the Lord was displayed. We see the phrase the hand of the Lord throughout the scriptures or the hand of God, especially in the Old Testament. We see the hand of God against that phrase in 1 Samuel chapter 7 against the Philistines or on in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 46 it was on Elijah and here in this text we have the word with so the hand of the Lord is really representing his presence and power 
Honestly, it reminds me of Christ's promises in Matthew chapter 28 when he tells his disciples, I am with you always. I mean, how would you live differently if you remembered this promise? I think to myself, would I live with more boldness or would I live with more love toward other people if I knew that the hand of God was with me? I mean, how would it change you, how you engage and pursue other people around you? So the promise of Christ being with his disciples and is really the promise of God's spirit being with us. It's linked. It's linked to the notion of God's presence and power being with us. So why is God's presence and power essential? Because as the scriptures say, without him, we can do nothing. And what does he want? Well, he wants us to be as him in this world, to, to be as instruments. Uh, the human toothpick, if you will. I'm gonna, I don't think I'm going to be able to get over that this whole episode. Uh, to be as his instruments all over the world. So, so what happened in this in this chapter here, in Acts chapter 11? Well, let me read verse 21 again. The Lord, the power of the Lord was with them, and large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So God's hand was with these guys, these unnamed guys, and many in this city believed and turned to the Lord. The, the Lord was using these unnamed willing men as instruments to do something beautiful amidst the ugliness of the city. So for those adopted into God's family, his hand is with us. He will lead, guide, and work in and through us for the sake of others. So the question is, who will you and I pursue? At one point in history, far-off lands knew of Antioch's immorality, but now, as a result of the Lord's hand working through unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene, a new report is flowing from it. This report of salvation, I guess you could say. Let me read the next section for you, verse 22 in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Hmm. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. So really what we see in the beginning, or in chapter 11, verse 19, we see people being used as an instrument in God's hand to like share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we see someone being an instrument in God's hands for the sake of encouraging other people. See, the church in Jerusalem hears of this amazing work in Antioch, and, and as they've done before, they send a representative to see if it's legitimacy. So Barnabas is sent on this 300-mile journey to Antioch by the believers in Jerusalem. And the text says that Barnabas was really, like, basically the perfect choice. He was a wise choice. He was the right man for the job. I don't know if you've ever experienced having the wrong instrument for the job or being the wrong man for the job. I remember one time several years ago, I uh, had some paint cans that I needed to open up. And I know I think I've only opened paint cans maybe one time in my life, and this was it. Um, I don't like to get my hands messy. Anyway... Uh, I didn't have anything to open these paint cans, so I used uh, my house key to do that. Well, the can got open, uh, but I didn't have a house key anymore. Anyway, the text tells us why Barnabas was the right man for the job, why he was the right instrument for the job. And I don't want to say the word tool because that has some negative connotations in our culture and context, but he's the right person for this work. The next verse, verse 23 again says, When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith, and many were brought to the Lord. See, Barnabas's attitude, personality, as well as his heritage, he is from Cyprus. I don't know if you knew that or not. These are all a perfect fit for this new work. He was what people needed at that time, encouragement. 
Barnabas, his nickname means son of encouragement. So according to the scriptures, his birth name is Joseph, but he was nicknamed Barnabas because he was so encouraging. In Acts chapter 11, then it tells us that Barnabas encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. See, all Christians are directed to encourage one another. We read of that in the book of Hebrews, to encourage one another daily. So why? Why do we need encouragement? Why does it need to be daily? Why? Well, I guess we could suppose that, or realize, I guess, if we're honest, that it's because we're so prone to being discouraged daily. I guess, I assume. And it's clear that being an encourager then and being encouraged is a huge benefit in life. Yet doesn't it seem like some of us have this gift of discouragement or criticism? And I'm not really just talking about, I'm not honestly talking about depression. I'm talking about like actual speaking words of discouragement to other people or um, this belief that something bad's always going to happen. And some of us, even in our local assemblies, are just like we're the, we have the gift of criticism of other people. It doesn't like bring anybody up, build anybody up. It just kind of just brings everybody down or tears down, divides. You know, that's a really nice shirt. Well, if you weren't so fat, it'd be even better. I don't know. You can come up with them. That's not helpful. (laughs) So when you consider a passage like this, or you think about this guy, Barnabas, who intentionally goes 300 miles just to encourage some people that are new to the whole Jesus life. And it's, it's pretty overwhelming to consider, but to make it simple, who has God sent you to encourage? Who has God sent to encourage you? Who needs encouragement from you? Hmm. I just encourage you and I invite you to think about that. I challenge you to come up with some people this week. And if someone comes to your mind, send them a note or text or just find a way to encourage them in the Lord, encourage them in their faith and their hope um, and build them up. And not with flattery, of course, to use them, but with truth. So what was the result of Barnabas's encouragement? Um, verse 24 says again, and many people were brought to the Lord. So a great number of people were brought to the Lord and great number means um, a massive multitude. So more and more people came to trust in Jesus. So as the church in Antioch grew, there were more and more people to encourage and equip. So now all this encouragement just cultivated and multiplied the fellowship. So they needed more and more people to do more and more work of encouragement and equipping and making disciples. And that's the next section we see here in this text verse 25 then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul when he found him he brought him back to Antioch both of them stayed there with the church for a full year teaching large crowds of people it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians Hmm. so in chapter 11 we see that people were instruments uh, by way of just sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People were instruments like Barnabas to be an instrument of encouraging other people. And in this sense now with Barnabas and Saul speaking to the people and encouraging them and building up, we see that they're really being an instrument of equipping. So when Barnabas brings Saul to Antioch, what did they do? They did exactly what Jesus called his followers to do, to make disciples. So what does that mean? Well, succinctly, I, I mean, to put it, as brief as I can, it means to show others who God is and who we are and aren't in light of him and what God's redemptive and kingdom purposes are and the meaning of life, really. So what came as a result of the disciples, um, Barnabas and Saul, equipping other people? Uh, what What came as a result in the lives of the disciples they made, I should say? 
Well, verse 26, the last part tells us, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Hmm. The disciples were called Christians first right there. They became known as Christians. And this is the first mention of the word Christians. And really, only one of three times, I think, if I remember correctly, that it's used in Scripture. It's really two parts this word Christians is. It's Christ is Messiah. In Greek, that's what that means. Christ is Messiah. And the I-A-N-S is a Latin suffix meaning um, belonging to the party of, or um, if I remember, uh, followers of. So literally, Christ's party, or Christ's people, or followers of Messiah. Did you know Christ had a party? So like, I don't know, that's like Republicans, Democrats, whatever, and then the Christ party. The term was most likely given by Gentiles to distinguish this group from the Jews. So the Jews would not have called these people Christians because they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Therefore, they don't believe that that these Jesus followers are Messiah followers. Several years ago, I read I read that during the British colonial era uh, era in India, the word Christian became synonymous with Englishman. But it didn't make any difference how like Jesus or immoral a person was. If you were an Englishman, you were considered a Christian. I read this week that Christians didn't call themselves Christians until the second century. Why do you think that is? What do you think this word Christian has come to mean now? Does it mean American anymore? Does it mean just being patriotic or that you go to church somewhere, that you believe that a God exists? And some might say back, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think. And I guess that might be half true. But the other half of that that is true is, do you think people are associating being a Christian with, like, being like Jesus? I don't I don't know. When I read this passage this morning, it, it led me to ask, like, does my life look like the hand of God is with me? Does it, do I seem at all in any way a bit like Jesus? In any way whatsoever? Would anyone I've discipled over the last 18 years be accused now of being anything like Jesus? Anyway, according to the text, people started recognizing Christians as a distinct group, and from this people outside of this group started being pursued and loved and encouraged from people from within the group. We don't always get to see the fruit of, uh, of our labor, our ministry, or our endeavors, are the fruit of being used by God as instruments. Now, we don't always get to see the results of engaging, but sometimes we do. We see the effect. And that's what we catch in the text here, the next section, verse 27. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was filled, fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So as the church was growing in number and in reputation, the believers in Jerusalem continued to send more folks to encourage them uh, in Antioch. And then prophets went from Jerusalem to to Antioch and went with words from God to encourage or warn. And one such word was of of a... an arriving famine. Luke tells us that this happened during the reign of Claudius, and history tells us that Claudius ruled ruled from um, the year 41 to 54, and during the year 45 and 46, there was a great famine in Israel. 
So what purpose would there be for the people in Antioch to know of an upcoming famine? The text told us that they would then send provision back to the Christians in Jerusalem. See, the prophecy provokes new Christians unto generosity, and the Lord uses the generous spirit of the believers in Antioch as an instrument serving the believers in Jerusalem and meeting the needs that would arise in the time of famine. So they send resources, along with Barnabas and Saul, back to the believers in Jerusalem. Isn't it really just like a a cyclical progression we see? Someone goes, people grow, and then they give. I know, alliteration, it's kind of annoying. And then it happens over and over again. Someone goes, then people grow, and then they give. Someone goes, and then people grow, and then someone gives. And it's, it's been happening ever since. So when I come to the end of this episode, I've been thinking, the legacy of Antioch is that it started by unnamed people sharing the good news about Jesus and his kingdom with unreached people who became a loved, reached people who in turn grew to become a generous people. And the point is that God is with and works in and through anyone who's willing. So I just want to encourage you, as I was encouraged by reading this passage today, who will you encourage? Who, who will you engage? Who will you equip? Ah, there's that alliteration again. Can't stop. To be a little bit crazy here, what would it be like to become the human toothpick? Not to engage the mess in other people's teeth, but to become God's hand, like to be used by God's hand in the lives of those he wants to bring to himself. To be an instrument for the sake of others and the glory of God. I just encourage you and invite you this week to think about who it is that you can seek to encourage and equip that they might know the goodness and love of God for them and then live loved as you are dearly loved.